Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what is your article today? It's an article that will make you say, Oh, one of these again? Basketball at the 1990 Asian Games. Okay. <laughs> more more random, specific <laughs> sports events. Yep. Asian Games basketball. In 1990. Hmm. Specifically. 1990, you say? 1990, says I. That is... <laughs> is that fortuitous? Is that what you've got, too, somehow? Uh, I have... I don't have that, but I have something that... It was 1990. <laughs> what, what's that? Frigid Stars LP. It's the debut I... album by indie New York indie rock band Codeine. It was released August 1990. Interesting. And this was close to that. I mean, it was September 23rd through October oh. 6th, 1990. So let's do let's do yours. By seniority, it wins. All right. <laughs> Frigid Stars LP. Now, I'm not actually... I don't think I'm actually familiar with the band Codeine. Me either. Uh, I don't know how popular they are. But they're popular enough for their first LP to have its own Wikipedia article, so yep. that's something. <laughs> the album was released to generally positive reviews and is regarded as being one of the pioneering albums in the slowcore and sadcore genres. Oh. <laughs> A pioneer. <laughs> A pioneer of just being slow and sad. Sadcore. Oh, man. Um, it was chosen by Pitchfork in 2008 as one of the top 20 or one of the 20 best sub pop albums that's I, it sounds do, it sounds I don't know, like is that pretty good? respected <laughs> i mean that uh, i don't know how many sub pop albums in total there are there may only I mean, be 20 yeah i don't know what um sub pop is defined by yeah and i don't know how many of these different lists or whatever they have but. it's pop that sounds like it was recorded <laughs> in a submarine uh. it sounds like it's underwater <laughs> Um, the phrase Frigid Stars is taken from a line in the song Crap Rap 2 by The Fall from their 1979 album Live at the Witch Trials. So That's a very specific reference. Yep. But, um... Oh. Sub Pop is a label. Oh. I so... noticed that un- under their label section in their info box. Oh, thank goodness. It that says saves us a whole that saves us a whole, you <laughs> so. know, episode on another genre of music trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. Slowcore and sadcore. I can kind of get it. Yeah. Like that it's that's that's pop music with a uh, little 
slow or sad <laughs> nougat center. That's that's what that is. Yep. So that makes that list a little less impressive, I guess, because it's just it's just the one twenty labels. best from one label. Yeah, and that's I don't even know is Sub Pop like a good like a big label at all. I haven't heard of them. I I don't know them. Yeah, doesn't mean that they weren't like very credible in what oh. they did. Maybe they're well, like really good. Uh, they had Nirvana and Soundgarden, so mm. they're. Decent. They were they were a pretty big label back in the, in the early nineties. I don't know if they still so, are now. I wonder if all of Nirvana's and Soundgarden's albums were ahead of this album on that list. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would imagine so. I mean, I honestly, it's Pitchfork, though, so you don't know. Like yeah. they might have gotten into that. Yeah, they're are they still respected as a. Thing. Yeah, they're they're a lot less contrarian than they used to be, I think. Mm. Like, a lot of their lists now kind of fall somewhat in line with what pretty much every other music site's list of, you know, definitive albums of certain types, mm-hmm. you know, are. Um, their, their top 100 albums of all time has been revised to more or less, you know, in the top 20 emulate you know rolling stone or anybody mm-hmm. else that's respected in the industry so it's kind of it's kind of lost a little bit of its panache a little bit a little bit of its street cred i guess mm-hmm. but they still review really weird stuff that nobody else would touch so ah. so the the uh people in this band we got chris brokaw on the drums and guitar ah, drums son of and Tom. guitar son of wait what wait huh drums guitar wait what huh <laughs> And we got John Engel on guitar and Steven Immerwar on bass guitar and vocals. Oh, wow. They only released two albums ever, plus one EP. Wow. That was a really short, uh, really short uh, band. Yeah. Those frigid stars, they burn out quick. <laughs> well, yeah, they're already... Uh, but oh, I guess it was cool. mostly mostly painless on account of coding. Ah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, it's sad core. Well, uh, they do have one cover song on this album, New Year's, which is a cover from the band Seam. Uh, it's a cover version of the track co-written by uh, bitch magnet singer <laughs> Sue Young Park. Ah. Good old bitch magnet. And then uh, the song Caven has been covered by the rock band Caven. <laughs> I wonder. Oh, yeah, it does say the song title was an, the inspiration for their band name. So. Hmm. That's I didn't something. think Caven was a band too long after this, though. Like, I feel like. Uh, let's see. They must oh, have... they formed in 1995. So, yeah, it yeah. was pretty soon after this. They heard this album and they were like, we should start a band. <laughs> and then they made one. Hmm. That's kind of cool. This is apparently a pretty influential little uh, LP then. Yeah, very least. So. Uh definitely had some influential reaches to the uh, indie and I think probably emo scenes. Yeah. Sadcore. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh from here, do you want to see if Chris Brokaw is related to Tom Brokaw? Do you want to see if Codeine has any <laughs> other like pain relief uh, bands that they're in bed with? Do we want to see what Sadcore uh, it is about, or if we even recognize, and we just didn't know that they were sad core bands. 
Hmm. Or you want to go to Pitchfork Media? Read up about uh, what they're doing these days. Are they still pretentious? They still they still <laughs> reviewing article reviewing albums that are entirely legitimate by way of posting a YouTube video to a monkey of uh, a YouTube video of a monkey pissing into its own mouth. Uh, <laughs> let's let's find out. We could find out that if we wanted to. True. Can go to Bitch well, Magnet. Looks like go to Caven. Pit- Pitchfork was launched after this album ever came out. So. So, in other it's words, they went back to review this because they already had outstanding respect right. for it. They wouldn't go back to deliberately, like, unless the album was super popular, they wouldn't go back to, like, <laughs> deliberately be like, this is an abomination to all music in whatever creative way they want to go about saying that this time. Actually, before we move on to an actual article, okay. I want to check out that top 20 sub-pop albums list. Just the list itself. Just want to see what's on there. That's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, too. Um, I'm going to bounce over. Album called... Afghan Wigs Congregation. Not familiar. Beat Happening, You Turn Me On. Not familiar. Coding for Dude Stars. Not familiar. <laughs> Comets on Fire, Blue Cathedral. Not familiar. Earth, Earth 2. <laughs> Not familiar. <laughs> Fastbacks, Zucker. Oh, yeah. Not familiar. Green River, Rehab Doll, Dry as a Bone EP. Hmm. Iron and Wine, hey. The Creek Drank the Cradle. Hey, I know that one. Mud Honey, Super Fuzz, Big Muff, plus early singles. Didn't we already do a Mud Honey at some point? We mentioned that they were one Maybe. of the alternative ones, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, Nirvana, Bleach, Red Red Meat, Bunny Gets Paid, nope. Sebadoa, Bake Sale, The Shins, O Inverted World. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Six Finger Satellite, The Pigeon is the Most Popular Bird. No, it isn't. Sleater Kinney, The Woods. The Spinanes, Manos. Sunny Day Real Estate, Diary. Hey, that's a good one. The Vaselines, The Way of the Vaselines. Velocity Girl, I... Or, no, that's not an I. That's, that's an upside down exclamation point. Yep. Blank, blank, simpatico. <laughs> Und- I don't know, underscore, is that... Uh, how why, is that? why are there underscores though? Like you can see the I, album I cover. Like... There aren't underscores in the no, album. No, yeah, that, there's no underscores. It's just simpatico. That's the name of. Okay. Who, who figured out that there's <laughs> supposed to be underscores there? Based on that. I don't know. Uh, we got Wolf Parade. Oh, Apologies to the Queen Mary. Love yes, it album. is. That's a good one. That's it. I didn't know those were sub pop albums. Like there was a lot in there that I actually. Yeah. At least decent... recognized. Yeah. At, at least. Five or six of those I recognize and I enjoy. Um, I wonder if Nirvana moved to a different album or a different label because subsequent yeah, albums because they must have. There, there's no way none of their just, other albums would get on. Although this is Pitchfork, and they may be maybe like, they were just picking they blew like up, Nirvana was way better. <laughs> maybe they were just picking the best of Nirvana's albums to be on the list, like you know, one album per band yeah you know that yeah. could be i don't know but anyway so there's those yeah let's uh i don't know there's a lot of good possibilities here i don't know what are you feeling pitchfork slow core chris brokaw i'm feeling you know what? Coding? 
<laughs> let's let's go find out more about uh, uh, Pitchfork, hmm. the, the the media amalgamation site to end all people who thought you couldn't be any whinier criticizing <laughs> art sites. Pitchfork is an American online magazine. No, it's not. How uh, how can you be an online magazine? All you do is review Just, stuff. It's a blog at that point. It's a website. You're just it's a website. A, yeah, it's a website. <laughs> You've never had a magazine. Stop It's trying. a magazine if it's a physical thing yeah. you flip through. Calling yourself that while forming a website is just connotating like you've like you you've already like signed your death knell there. Like you've already admitted <laughs> that like we have no idea what's going on, how the format's changing. We're gonna try to make a magazine that's on the internet and it's just like nobody wants magazines. That's why the internet's like popular. <laughs> We want to see well, the one thing in that magazine and then throw the rest out. <laughs> apparently, online magazine is actually an article. Like, there's actually a thing of... Uh, I just don't understand how there could be a magazine published on the internet. Cause that, that would yeah, be like, it's just a website at that point, isn't it? Yeah, because, I mean, what are they going to do? Scan each page, have each page... You know, like you scroll down through the pages, like that, it's not. Practical. It's not what it is. Like no, what it is is you have separate articles and blogs and things, links to things, and, and yeah, tabs. Like that's a website. That's, that's not a, yeah, a magazine. A, it's not a magazine at all. It's just like, a normal website. Yeah, it's a regular old plain old website. <laughs> it's a website with specific content. You'd say it's yeah. an American online media media website, but yeah. online magazine. There you go. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I disagree with the classification online magazine. Yeah. As a whole, gonna gonna give that a soft no. Hard hard, no. hard pass on that one. Hard <laughs> pass on that one. Yep. Yep. Now it was launched in 1995 by a Ryan Schreiber. No link for him. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Based in Chicago, Illinois, and it's and owned by a uh, Condi Nast. Condi Nast. Who is Condi Nast? There's a link to them. Yeah. Uh, being developed during Shriver's tenure in a record store at the time, the magazine developed a reputation. The website, the website developed yeah. a reputation oh for its. They started early with the pretentiousness. <laughs> Don't put it past them. Maybe the, they started the whole online magazine as a classification. They, maybe, maybe they did. Maybe they were wrong from the beginning, too. Um, but the magazine developed a reputation for its extensive focus on independent music, but has since expanded to a variety of coverage on both indie and popular music. The site generally concentrates on new music, but Pitchfork journalists have also reviewed reissues and box sets. The site has also published best-of lists, such as best albums of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the best songs of the 1960s as well as annual features detailing the best albums and tracks of each year since 1999. That seems like something that should be in it from the beginning. Yeah, like it... Best of the year. It seems like a pretty standard staple. I mean, I guess it does now. I don't know why it wouldn't have then. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's uh, see what criticism there was about this. One common complaint is that the website's, there it is, journalism suffers from a narrow view of independent music, favoring lo-fi and often obscure indie rock, and giving only cursory treatment to other genres. 
Some critics have suggested that the site rates albums from particular music scenes or artists more favorably in order to bolster its influence when the music becomes popular. The majority of criticism, however, is aimed at the site's album reviewing style. Critics argue the site often emphasizes a reviewer's own writing over the actual music being reviewed. Which is very true. (laughs) Sometimes not even reviewing the album and instead criticizing the artist's integrity. Pitchfork is also known to give zero ratings, deeming the work essentially and critically worthless. One critic wrote that the rating of a particular album amounts to no more than a cheap publicity stunt for a website that thrives on controversy. The critic also hypothetically asked how a neo-Nazi punk record would be scored in comparison to these zero albums based on Pitchfork standards. Neo-Nazi punk record? Uh, that seems like a, like a jab at them. They think that they're white supremacists. Mm. <laughs> Could be. Um, there's some parodies here then. Uh, When Pitchfork asked comedian David Cross to compile a list of his favorite albums, he instead provided them with a list of albums to listen to while reading overwrought Pitchfork reviews. (laughs) In it, he satirically piled over-the-top praise on fictional indie rock records mocking Pitchfork's reviewing style. In 2004, comedy website Something Awful created a parody of Pitchfork's front page entitled Rich Dork Media. Page makes reference to non-existent, obscure-sounding indie rock bands in its reviews, news headlines, and advertisements. The rating system measures music on its proximity to the band Radiohead. (laughs) A similar, more lighthearted parody was created by Sub Pop, a record label whose musical artist Pitchfork has reviewed often favorably. And in 2007... The Onion published a story in which founder Ryan Schreiber reviews music as a whole, giving it a 6.8. And then 2010, David Shapiro started a Tumblr called Pitchfork Reviews Reviews, which reviews Pitchfork Reviews. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, 2016, the Rift Tracks comedy commentary for the film Icebreaker, Mike Nelson quipped about the ticking of a Geiger counter. This Geiger counter released an album of just this. Pitchfork gave it an 8.3. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, the question to me is not necessarily that, like, why why are they pretentious? My, my question is, why did anybody ever give these idiots bandwidth and, like, you know, <laughs> like a whole bunch of foot traffic in the first place? Yeah. When did it become popular and why? So I'm going to yeah. backtrack a little bit. And look at the history in this a little bit more. Um, and it looks like it was actually maybe involved with another thing at some point. Because mm. the history section starts out with a C also linked to something called the Dissolve. Which sounds like a perfect mm. name for a band, but not for yeah. a crit- critiquing website. <laughs> um but in late 1995, Ryan Schreiber, who there is still no link to, uh, a recent high school graduate, created the magazine in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. I always want to say Minneapolis, too. Minneapolis. Is that a thing? I don't know. Is that a place anywhere? <laughs> Minneapolis? I don't I, think so. I feel like I've heard that well, before. Well, there's Minneapolis and Annapolis. So there's maybe also that's Indianapolis. What it is. Maybe so, that's yeah, what it is. That's what it is. It's a combination of all three. <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> 
That's that's that should be a town in like a DC universe somewhere. Oh or yeah, there you go, Minneapolis. That could be some place that like you know, one of uh, the one of the super siblings can can guard that. Yeah, don't need all of them in Metropolis. Min- Minneapolis needs <laughs> needs all the help it can get. Um, influenced by local Chicago area uh, fanzines and the radio station KUOM, Ryan Schreiber, who had no previous writing experience and did just graduate from high school, aimed to provide the internet with a regularly updated source for independent music. At first, being Turntable, the website was updated monthly with interviews and reviews. In May of 1996, the site began pushing daily, publishing daily and was renamed Pitchfork, alluding to Tony Montana's tattoo in Scarface. Which Odd place to pull your uh, music reviewing website from. But I mean, I, I guess you could. Yeah, might as well. That's fine. Uh, in early 1999, Schreiber relocated Pitchfork to Chicago um, from Minneapolis, <laughs> and by then, the site had expanded to four full-length album reviews every single day, Wow! as well as sporadic interviews, features, and columns. It had also begun ga- garnering a following for its extensive coverage of underground music and its writing style, which was often unhindered by the conventions of journalism. In October, the site added a daily news music section. Um, Pitchfork has launched a variety of subsidiary websites. Pitchfork.tv, a website displaying videos related to many independent music acts, launched in April 2008. It features bands that are typically found on Pitchfork. In July 2010, Pitchfork announced Altered Zones, a blog aggregator devoted to underground and do-it-yourself music. On uh, May 21st, 2011, uh, Pitchfork announced a partnership with Killscreen in which Pitchfork would publish some of their articles. Altered Zones was closed on November 30th of, I guess, 2011, because that's when it, that's <laughs> yeah, when it yeah, started. I, I guess. On December 26, 2012, Pitchfork launched Nothing Major, a website that covered visual arts such as fine art and photography. Nothing Major closed <laughs> December in October 2013. They can't get anything up more than a year, can yeah. they? Other than themselves. On October 13th, 2015, Condé Nast announced that it had acquired that it had acquired Pitchfork. I thought Condé Nast was a person. I don't know. I guess it's a thing. Following the sale, Schreiber remained as editor in chief. On March 2016th, or March 31st, March 13th, 2016. Wow, numbers today are not <laughs> coming naturally. Um. Pitchfork was redesigned. According to announcement post during the resign that redesign, they said, we last redesigned in fall 2011. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Internet changed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Condé Nast, it, is an it. Condé Nast is an it that yeah, acquired Pitchfork. That's, a, that's an it. Pitchfork's apparently best days are behind it. They tried spinning off several <laughs> businesses and eventually just sold themselves and closed all their subsidiaries, it looks like, with the exception of Pitchfork.tv. Yeah. Of course, I mean, nothing major is kind of a really terrible name for anything that you want to become major. I mean, I don't care how ironic you want to be. That's actually the worst idea is to call <laughs> something that you want to blow up to be called nothing major. Yeah, that's objectively not a great name for yep. something you want but it's witty because, like, if you want people to look at it and they come to look at it and it becomes major, then it's called nothing major, and it's like, whoa! But 
See, the thing is, though, that Pitchfork was ever found out found on the basis of being ironic. It's true. That was that was the thing. Like the 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 name Pitchfork is like you can you can like you know throw a Pitchfork through through a bad album. <laughs> like you know, there's there's a certain like there's a three prong test there. Literally, mm. it's a Pitchfork. There's three prongs. <laughs> and that's a good that's a good name. Like if you did a three prong test review uh, on your yeah. albums, that you might go. have been a great name. I mean, you could have maybe done more with the name you've already. Maybe okay, never mind. Pitchforks is just bad people, <laughs> like a bad company. They didn't even use their entire like. Uh, All right, yeah. but it was taken over by an it, which was also a person, or maybe not. <laughs> we're not sure. Condi Nast. Condi Nast. And Condi Nast made them redesign it. Condy nasty. Condy nasty. Kind of nasty. Yeah. It's kind of nasty. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... this is an interesting statistic. Size, readership, and site traffic. Pitchfork now receives an audience of more than 240,000 readers per day and then more than 1.5 million unique visitors per month. Huh. Which I could sort of believe, though it seems like the people who like are there to read it daily are like avid. If you only have, if you have two hundred, if you have a quarter million coming in a day, coming in daily, and only a total of one point five million throughout an entire month that are different <laughs> yeah, that, people. That math is. Uh... That that means you have a lot of recurring fan base yeah. there. That's that's what's going on. But it's the most pop- popular independent-focused music publication online. So you know, no, that's not too bad. That's that's not a bad standing. Yeah. Um. So uh, some publications have cited Pitchfork in having played a part in breaking artists such as Arcade Fire, Sufjan Stevens, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, Interpol, The Go Team. Junior Boys, The Books, Broken Social Scene, Cold War Kids, Wolf Parade, Tapes and Tapes, and Titus Andronicus. Although the site's true impact on their popularity remains a source of frequent debate. Hmm. So. They've also had a negative influence on some indie artists. Uh, as suggested in a Washington Post article in 2006, Pitchforce reviews can have a significant influence on an album's popularity, especially if it had only been available to a limited audience or had been released on an independent record label. A dismissive 0.0 review of former dismemberment plan frontman Travis Morrison's Travistan album led to a large sales drop and a virtual college radio blacklist. Wow. On the other hand, an endorsement from Pitchfork, which dispenses its approval its approval one-tenth of a point at a time, up to a maximum of ten points, is very valuable indeed. Uh, examples include, more specifically, Arcade Fire, uh, which we already had mentioned, but it's most commonly cited to have benefited from a positive Pitchfork review. In 2005, Chicago Tribune article, Emerge Records employee states that after the Pitchfork review, the first arcade album, Funeral, went out of print for a week because it <laughs> got so many orders. Wow. Bon Iver, another person that really uh, profiteered from this, was catapulted to the mainstream of critical success after a 2007 review of the album For Emma Forever Ago. Pitchfork was the only publication to have included the album on a 2007 end-of-the-year list, while over 16 popular publications included the re-release on their 2008 lists. 
In the summer of 2011, Pitchfork noted Bon Iver's self-titled release as Best New Music and later chose the, the release as the best album of 2011. Pitchfork's critical acclamation of Bon Iver is widely seen as lifting the artist to commercial mainstream success, which culminated with his Grammy Award for the Best New Artist and Best Alternative Music Album. Time Magazine nominated Bon Iver as Person of the Year in 2012. Nothing, the 2000, noting the 2007 review as the indie cred that led to mainstream success. Hmm. It is kind of crazy to think that he has had all those awards since then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And clap your hands, say yeah. I don't know. Maybe, don't know. They, maybe they're <laughs> maybe they're famous. I've heard of them, but I don't think they're I any. They're don't. not as nearly as yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. There's more controversy with leaked music. Wait, what? Where in August 2006, a directory on Pitchfork servers containing over 300 albums was compromised. A web surfer managed to discover the download and download the collection, which included the Decemberists' The Crane Wife and TV on the Radio's Return to Cookie Mountain, both of which had been leaked to peer-to-peer networks. Allegedly, one of the albums on the server... Joanna Newsom's Wise had not been available on file sharing networks. So that, that see that's really bad if a web surfer can just like uh, let's see if we tweak this if we can find something and just type something into the address bar and, and then manage to find, find the entire thing. <laughs> That's you might want to <laughs> add a, another layer of security to that. Wow. Um, there's also some uh, controversy with deleted and changed reviews. And uh, they've been criticized for deleting older reviews from their archive in an effort to keep up with the changing trends in indie music. I've seen this happen. You'll oh, really? see, You'll see... Um, like if you research bands and stuff on Wikipedia, uh-huh. a lot of the time what you'll see is that they were certain rankings and lists. And if you go to those lists now, the listing will have changed. Their place <laughs> on the list may have changed. The rating itself may have changed. Oh, and wow. it's like, and sometimes you don't see the normally. You know how Pitchfork has a really embellished review style, right? Where right. they have words all over the place. <laughs> sometimes you'll just see new rating, new ranking, really no explanation as to what the outcome is, <laughs> and then you're just kind of like that one. Uh, That's a new one. That one, you have clearly <laughs> deleted what you said, and now you're trying to be trendy. Like, that is... It's Condi, I'm telling you. Mm. Condi nasty. Yep. Up to their nasty, nasty <laughs> tricks. Uh, so one example of this is the 9.5 out of 10 review written for the ska band Save Ferris's album It Means Everything. Similarly, the original review of Science fiction, or si- ah. it's P S Y E N C E, so science, science fiction. Fiction by Uncle received nine point eight, but the review was later deleted. And when the group released their next album four years later, the website gave it a score of five and described it as an improvement on their debut, calling science fiction one of the most anticlimactic and jaw-dropping disappointments of recent years. Now, that's interesting. Now, now I have a reason to listen to this album, ironically, yeah. because <laughs> you... So, yeah, when it first came out, they're like, oh, almost perfect. And then a couple years later, it's like, well, eh, 
it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Yeah. What did they do wrong? <laughs> what did they do to hurt you? Um, negative reviews of two By Divine Right albums were also removed from Pitchfork after members Brendan Canning and Leslie Feist became successful with the band Broken Social Scene and their own solo work. Is that where Feist came from? She was a is broken it? social scene person. Oh, is that... Is, that is that Leslie Feist? Feist? Is that Feist? Is that Feist? It looks like Feist. I think it's Feist. It is Feist. It's Feist. Yep. All right. She's the Feist of Feist. That's the Feist. It's the Feist I've heard of it. <laughs> um, Stephen Bird's deleted review of By Divine Rights Bless This Mess, on which Canning and Feist play bass and guitar, went so far as to compare the band to retards with a guitar who, quote, wouldn't know rock and roll if she broke into their house and beat up their children. End quote. What? Rating the album 1.8. After Bell and Sebastian's quote-unquote comeback in the mid to late 2000s, Pitchfork removed their 0.8 review of The Boy with the Arab Strap from the site. The reviewer lambasted the band for writing songs that were, quote, so sticky they should be hanging from Ben Stiller's ear. And I don't mean that in a good way, end quote. <laughs> Pitchfork originally gave the Flaming Lips album Zareka a scathing zero review uh, that also derided all Flaming Lips fans. Wow. So They get personal. <laughs> they do. They, they get really, like, when they get heated, they get, like, they get hot. They have to burn, man. They have to burn. Wow. Pitchfork has also removed the 9.4 review for the album Things Fall Apart by the Roots. They have also removed the 1998 review of In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel, which initially received an 8.7. Schreiber's review of the John Coltrane album Live at the Village Vanguard was deleted after attaining notoriety for its supposed poor writing and alleged racist stereotypes. Uh, Hence the aforementioned neo-Nazi post-punk thing. Right, yeah, um, okay. Particularly in the lines, quote, it's like a dream I had. I floated on the River Nile, smoking some fresh weed, relaxing, but I ain't ever gonna see the Nile anyhow. End quote. Additionally, Schreiber's original 7.5 review of a reissue of The Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, which criticized the album for being dated and passe <laughs> compared to more modern <laughs> albums like OK Computer, was... Oh my god. Oh, like, that's the, that's the article that everybody is basing the Radiohead thing off of, because... Because Pet Sounds was... Oh my god. Pet Sounds predated... Oh, Pet Sounds it's predated like, Radiohead by 30 years. <laughs> what do you want? It's like, oh, man, this album that came out 30 years earlier, it sounds so old. It sounds like almost <laughs> more than 20 years old. Probably more than 25 years old. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God. I had no idea it had gotten that bad. I haven't. Yeah. I, I was not privy to that information, but that's... That's a weird. That's a that's a weird thing too, because Schreiber's original seven point five review of the reissue, he still gave it a pretty good rating, <laughs> even though he was like being passe about it. And was yeah. like, well, it's no okay computer, but it's okay, I guess. <laughs> like maybe you should just go stick your head in a vat of sixties music for a second, and then see if Pet Sounds doesn't stick out like a sore thumb to you as yeah. being like far and above the rest, because it is. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna compare it to something, compare it to something of that time. Yeah, don't don't like you can't watch this in Kane today and be like, 
this guy's an idiot. He he hated he hated his family and he liked the sled and wow, this guy's wits had really been pulling out from under him because that's not the point. The and point is, is they could do cool things black with cameras. And white. Yeah. We have color now. Well, to be fair, they had color then, but it was well, still yeah, expensive. But still. <laughs> I mean, even um, that, that wouldn't stop them from no. doing a review like that. No, it wouldn't because Pitchfork is, it, it, they don't really do well when it comes to reviewing things with regard right. to the period in which, unless it's from Sub Pop. Apparently everything from Sub Pop. Yeah, I guess if so. If it was grunge, it's fine. <laughs> Radiohead isn't grunge, but I mean, if it is grunge, that's that's good. That's yeah. really creative. That's really cool and indie and super nice. <laughs> I don't, I'm, ugh. Okay. All right, that that kind of... I was kind of cool on the Pitchfork front. Because lately, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm a guy who goes to Pitchfork mm. to see if maybe they found something cool. Maybe well, they, I mean, if they know things I don't up, know. Like, reviews of, like, bands that you've never heard of. You want to check know, out new music, it's worth checking that's out. That's a good thing to, you know, yeah, make a aware, resource. bring it's awareness a resource. to thing, you know. And so it... But I, I have but, to yeah. say that like long ago and far away, they already they already gave bands I really enjoy really low ratings. So um, it's kind of always been a policy of mine to go there and mm. look for things that have gotten like <laughs> awful ratings and be like, okay, let's give this a shot anyway. Because yeah. I've I've seen you as being wrong before. Why not now? <laughs> oh, apparently they also. Uh, Direct, they get criticized directly by artists for misrepresentation. Most famously, 2007, the artist MIA, you know, fly like paper, get high like planes, girl. Uh, bang, 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 take your money. <laughs> take ching, your ching. money. Yeah, ching, ching. Yeah, right. You got the, you got all the sound effects. Not in the right order, but I mean, we got Oh, yeah, you got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, Writers later described that um, she had been... Wait, hold on. Uh, Pitchfork has been criticized directly by artists for misrepresentation, most famously in 2007 by the artist MIA for what one of their writers later described as perpetuating the male-led ingenuine... Ingenue. Ingenue myth with regard to her work. What's ingenue? Um, a stock character in literature, film, and a role type in the theater. Generally, a girl or young woman who is endearingly innocent and wholesome. Um, ingenue may refer to new young actresses. I don't know. So, just kind of like a stock character that's so she's innocent. In, so she's something. innocent and wholesome person, but she's yeah. talking about. Like so maybe that's robberies. Her her song is talking about robberies. Her song talks about robbing people with guns. <laughs> is that? I don't know if that's like a innocent wholesome person necessarily, but like I also don't think that's what she was trying to be portrayed as, which is probably why she was mad at them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some have argued this is not isolated to Pitchfork in the music press while this incident was later cited and similarly condemned by the artist Bjork who criticized the site for assuming female musicians do not usually write or produce their own music oh Mm. Oh, okay Pitchfork's articles on MIA and her career have since the incident been noticeably negative and attracted media commentary Mm. 
an article titled MIA uses pitchfork tweets to diss pitchfork was printed by LA Weekly in 2010. So that's kind of an interesting ongoing feud. Yeah, it's interesting. And also kind of concerning that, you know, I don't remember an MIA hit since that first song. Yeah. And uh, Arcade Fire, ostensibly speaking, has stayed okay, but they haven't produced, like, really, really good stuff since their first two albums, and yet they're still famous. So, Pitchfork Influence, you want to talk about that? Yeah, Yeah, they got something going on. They got something. You know, I think if Bjork ever wants to, um, like, go in a different direction with her style... What if she got really normal one time? (laughs) She should, uh... (laughs) Change her name to New Bjork. (laughs) (laughs) New Bjork, New Bjork. (laughs) It's a hell of a gal. Is that the song? I think so. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I'm really not familiar with with the Bjork. Bjork, Bjork. I've only been to... I've only been to New Bjork a couple of times. Mm. And, uh... It's easy to get lost in Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> ah, rating system. Here we go. So they their reviews use two different rating systems, one of which individual track reviews were formerly ranked from one to five stars, but on January 15th, 2007, the site introduced a new system called Forkcast. In it, instead of assigning tracks a particular rating, reviewers simply label them one of the self-explanatory categories, new music, old music, video, advanced music, rising, WTF, on repeat, and the category of their most favorably regarded songs, um, and then delete for the least favored songs. Oh, that's much simpler. <laughs> it's a much better it's rating. So system. convoluted. You can ha- you have seven different ways to say yes, one way to say no. It's better. <laughs> <laughs> and as of 2009, the site had officially removed this system. Well, that's good. Opting to instead simply review tracks while giving some a label of best new track. That seems a lot better. Um, album reviews are given a rating out of 10.0, specific to one decimal point. And uh, on two thousand, uh, on October twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen or two thousand three, Pitchformula dot com made a survey of the five thousand five hundred seventy five reviews available on Pitchfork at that time, showing that six point seven was the average rating. Uh, two thousand three hundred thirty nine reviews had been awarded a rating of seven point five four or higher. 2,362 reviews have been awarded a rating of between 5 and 7.3, and 873 reviews had been awarded a rating of less than 5.0. So they really get off between 7.5 and below. Like yeah. the, the, the majority of them are below 7.5. Yeah, basically, still, like if it's really good, they'll be like, "All right, we'll give it a pretty high review." Uh, but I, then I, they're like, "I hate sites they like this, though." Relish where, in yeah, giving bad reviews. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of to me. After having a statistic like that come out, shouldn't you 
be more aware and like maybe make 7.5 more of like a every time your balance is hit 7.5 maybe <laughs> mash that 5 button instead because what you mean is 5 yeah because that's what you're trying to say <laughs> that's you're, you're not because I would imagine that of those 2,300 7.4 or higher that probably 2,000 of those are about 7.5 to 7.8 <laughs> albums just based on what I've seen like they are very hesitant to give more than an 8 <laughs> oh wow so um only 11 albums have been given a rating of 10.0 since it was the site was launched in 1995 um some of them but, retroactively got 10 right point, 10 yeah. point years later um so no, note that pitchfork has since deleted the reviews for some of these <laughs> um without replacing them with newer reviews, effectively reducing the canon of albums that Pitchfork still considers to be worthy of a 10.0 on initial release down to six albums. So, um... Wait, what? Okay, so... It mentions here that the album Relaxation of the Asshole which is a comedy ga- album by Guided by Voices singer Robert Pollard, was awarded a dual zero and ten on initial release. A later site redesign changed the rating to zero only, although the explanation for the unusual rating remains in the text of the review. Mm. Wait, so they explain why it was Yeah, they explain both? why it was a zero and but then they changed it to only a zero. That's right. And they left the explanation. Okay. That's correct. So the albums that they have given a 10 to... On initial release. On initial release. I'm sure they're... Yeah. Uh, we got 12 Rods with their album Gay. Uh, we got the artist And You Will Know Us by The Trail of Dead with their album Source Tags and Codes. Um... Uh, artist Amma, Aman Tobin with his al- album Bricolage and we got Bob Dylan's The Bootleg Series Volume 4 Bonnie Prince Billy's a- I See a Darkness The Flaming Lips the-, the Soft Bulletin Kanye West's My Dark My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy of course <laughs> Radiohead's Kid A, Radiohead's OK Computer, Walt Mink El Producto, and Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Of course, the 12 Rods album, the Amon Tobin album, Walt Mink, the Flaming Lips, and Bob Dylan have all been retroactively taken down, and or they have been deleted from the site. Leaving mostly Radiohead. Yeah. They, they just want to up their percentage of Radiohead albums. Mostly Radiohead, and then one Kanye West album, just to make you mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, in there, eventually, you have a couple of indie artists. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's divided evenly between three extremely rich mainstream acts, and then <laughs> three kind of, like, ah, uh, geez, well, you know, we could... Use a little better publicity. Wilco's <laughs> doing pretty okay right now, though. I'd I say they're like a middle ground good. artist. Yeah, they're like, not. They're, they're still indie, though. They're, they're not, not like they're not obs- 
too obscure, but they're no. also not super popular. No, there's no like hits by them you would know yeah. if they came on the radio. It'd be like, but this like, is Wilco. No, you you go to the av- you know ten people on the street, maybe five of them have heard of them. Yeah, you know, it's 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 they know they know of Wilco. I yeah. would say I don't even know if anybody has really like listened to a whole lot, but they're yeah. they're well enough known. Yeah. Okay, now there's there's another cool thing here. Uh, Pitchfork's albums of the year, which is kind of interesting. Uh, 1999, they said that the album of the year was The Dismemberment Plans, Emergency, and I. Uh, 2000's uh, album of the year was, guess what? Guess what it was? <laughs> it was Radiohead. It was Kid A. Did you, did you see that I f- coming? I feel like every time Radiohead releases an album, they would probably give it an album of the year. They, That's you would my think guess. So. You would think so, but then they stopped. Mm. Then they got called out for it because there are a couple of Radiohead albums that are not album of the year, <laughs> as it would happen. Um, 2001's the, uh, album of the year was The Microphones for The Glow Part 2. Uh, 2002's was Interpol's Turn on the Bright Lights, which was a great album. I, mm. I wouldn't have thought that Pitchfork of all people would have made it their album of the year because it doesn't sound like an album they would do that to. But okay, mm-hmm. uh, the Rapture Echoes uh, was the 2003 artist and subsequently album of the year. 2004 was of course Arcade Fire's Funeral. 2005 was Sufjan Stevens' album Illinois. Uh, full title being Come On Feel the Illinois. Uh, 2006 was The Knife's Silent Shout. Actually, a pretty good little electronic album from Sweden. 2007's album of the year was Panda Bear's Person Pitch. Uh, 2008's album of the year was Fleet Foxes, Sun Giant slash Fleet Foxes. 2009's album of the year, Animal Collective's Meriwether Post Pavilion. 2010's album of the year was, of course, the Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. <laughs> 2011 was Bon Iver's album Bon Iver Bon Iver. <laughs> uh, 2012's uh, winning album was Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City. Uh, 2013's album of the year was Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampires of the City. 2014's was Run the Jewels, Run the Jewels 2. 2015's was Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, and 2016's was Solange's A Seat at the Table. Increasingly, they have gone from being predictably Radiohead-focused for Album of the Year to being predictably rap-focused for yeah. Album of the Year. And it's kind of like... That's uh, an odd it, It's odd. I, I think it's probably because they experienced a lot of criticism for focusing entirely too much on music mm. that was in the indie realm and it feels to me now like they're possibly they're erring toward like trying to compensate for that yeah. without doing it too egregiously because it's still pretty balanced you still have out years yeah. where you have Bon Iver and people like Vampire Weekend still winning album of the year mm. it's just that they're actually acknowledging that like <laughs> rap and hip hop are valid genres that you right. could make album of the year if they're really good <laughs> you know you could you know they're actually pretty nice you could, you could make those albums of the year um Oh, interesting. Uh, and then, of course, they have several songs of the year as well, but they are not what you would think. Yeah, they are not. Um, Ultra Light Beam by Kanye West being 2016's winning song. 
We are on an ultra light beam. We are on an ultra light beam. This is that thing. And Remember that? 2003's, which is, I guess, the earliest time they did this, was uh, Outcasts. Hey ya! But I mean, come on, I mean, it's a fantastic. How can song. you not pick that? Can, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like even Pitchfork's like, hey, you know, I got a hand to him. Come on now, Pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. Can I get some song of the year right here? All right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, like none of the tracks of the year line up with the albums of the year, except for Kendrick Lamar's uh, 2015 pick. All right. That's the only. Uh, oh, and wait, hold on. Or what maybe about Animal, Animal Collective. Collective. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Lines up. That's a really good song, though. The, and I don't think that would have gotten out there if it wasn't for Pitchfork. Hmm. I do love that song. But yeah, all the other years, it's a completely different artist from the album of the year. Got some LCD sound system in there, some JT. Really yeah, interesting I feel like that's selection. an odd... <laughs> yeah. A Justin Timberlake song. Like, that was kind of like... Wasn't that like the most... For, well, I, think, I guess at the time, too, Outkast was also really popular. Yeah. Yeah, they were not indie at that point. Ooh, see, also the Pitchfork 500. Is that like a race? The Pitchfork 500. Do they do they sponsor NASCAR now? <laughs> they do it in Minneapolis. 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 <laughs> uh, let's say it's a book of the greatest songs from punk to present. So, yeah, it's like a selection of years in which they list like the best songs or something. So, um, well, there's a lot of bands on here. It's a shame that we can't go to what's his name, what? Ryan Schreiber. Yeah, I guess we could there's always go to Condi Nasty. Condi Nasty. You should probably go Condi Nasty just to see what what it is. What is it? Oh, now this is interesting. Condi Nasty. Oh, uh, I typed in Ryan Schreiber in the search bar. And the article, like, they showed a link to Ryan Schreiber, clicked on it, took me to Pitchfork article. <laughs> so, so that's his, it. His article is just this. He is Pitchfork, and Pitchfork is him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but, yeah, Condé Nasty. Stylized as Condé Nast. <laughs> Condé Nast. Was founded by Condé Nast. Oh, how about that? Condi <laughs> Montrose so it is, Nast. So it is a person. It is a person. Also a company. Also a company. An American mass media company founded in 1909, based at One World Trade Center, and owned by Advanced Publications. The company attracts more than 164 million consumers across its 20 brands and mediums, which include Allure, Architectural Digest, Ars Technica, Back Channel, Bon Appetit, Brides, Condé Nast Traveler, Epicurious, Glamour, Golf Digest, GQ, Pitchfork, Reddit, Self, Teen Vogue, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, Vogue, W, and Wired. That's a quite the... That's a very modern uh, American profile right there. Yeah, that's... They have most of the publications. They really run the gamut Yep. Of- they're they're yeah. pushing they're pushing the envelope. 
this is the new this is the new like uh, newspaper company basically. Yeah. Like those magazines, those are the ones that still have articles that show up on social media and all the time. Like they pretty much own our generation's media. <laughs> like no, seriously. Like everything outside of Facebook is them. Yeah. Everything outside of the actual social media networks, the articles that people are putting on those social media networks <laughs> is them. Heck, they even are one of the social media networks. They're Reddit. Yeah. They own Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, no wonder Teen Vogue, no wonder Teen Vogue articles were becoming popular on Reddit. That's why <laughs> they own Teen Vogue and Reddit. It's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory; they're just promoting themselves. <laughs> um, hovering over uh, the Conde Montrose Nast article, uh, just to get a picture of who this person is. Who is this man? Doesn't look like how I expect him to. Um, he's just some old white dude. Yeah, for having a name that, like, interesting, you it's, would think. It sounds a lot more exotic, but he... And he, it doesn't even say he's from another, like, he's born country. New York. It just says, yeah. Born in New York City. Midwestern origin. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing exotic about this man. He just has a very interesting name. Condi Montrose. You know... I just realized that Condé Nast kind of sounds like Kanye West. Hmm. I smell conspiracy. <laughs> so Condé West promoted Condé Nast. Kanye Nast. <laughs> Kanye Nast. <laughs> Kanye Nast. That would be a good band name. That, w- that would be a good band name. That would be Kanye Nast like commentary it. on yeah. uh, how certain you know influences have pushed people into the limelight or taken them out of it. Mm. Okay. Um, well, you know what? Uh, this is going to be a pretty boring article. It's going to be a guy from New York finding right. a press company, finding a couple of magazines, those getting popularity, them having capital, them buying up other publications, and then ultimately getting taken over themselves. What I want right. to go to, and just blow right through all of that. Like it's, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's really intriguing. I'm sure it's not exactly <laughs> like every other big newspaper magnet rising to power story ever. Um, but the thing I want to see is who owns these people, because uh, you know, because that, that they already own a is, lot of things that are very influential. This is owned by Advanced Publications, right? So we should so, go to Advanced Publications. I think that's a good idea. I uh, it might be fun. <laughs> so, Advanced Publications is an American media company owned oh, by the no. descendants of S.I. Newhouse Sr., Donald Newhouse, and S.I. Newhouse Jr. Sports Illustrated Newhouse. <laughs> it is named after the Staten Island Advance. Staten Island Newhouse. Newspaper owned by Newhouse Family. Um... As of 2014, ranked number 44th largest privately held company in the United States, according to Forbes. Um, so yeah, this is just owned by some people. This is the highest up that it goes, I guess. We gotta go to the people. <laughs> We're gonna go to the people, man. Anyway, no, uh, it was founded in 1922, 95 years ago. So my money is on S.I. Newhouse Senior not being uh, yeah. alive anymore. Um, probably. I mean, it's possible he could have found that thing when he was a real young, young type. Well, it says uh, Sam Newhouse bought a controlling interest in 1922. Samuel that's when it was fan- founded. Yeah. 
So, yeah, 95 years ago is when they started this thing. So, yeah, I would say pretty safe bet. Senior is no longer with us. Junior, perhaps. Perhaps, yes. It says key people. He sa- It says he's the chairman, and then Donald Newhouse is the president. Hmm. And then there's a CFO in there who's not related, but it is still primarily that family. Fourth uh, largest private company in the New York area in 2012. Hmm. Now, in addition to holding publishing and communications assets, Advance serves as the holding company for the family's 31% stake in cable entertainment company Discovery Uh. Communications. So it does go deeper because if we go to this family and find out what other stuff they own, (laughs) they own other... Yeah, they might own other things. Media. Uh, Advance also owns a 13% stake in Charter Communications, which it received when Bright House Networks merged with Charter. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, Wait, okay. So what they own, they own uh, Pop, which I don't know what it is, but they acquired that in 2013. 1010 Data, acquired in 2015. Um, then Pitchfork and Reddit, Charter Communications and Discovery Communications. Former defunct divisions, RCA purchased Random House in 1965 and later sold it to Advanced Publications in 1980. And then Advanced sold Random House to German media conglomerate Bertelsmann in 1998. So that, at some point, they were also controlling Random House and yeah. book publishing. And um, <laughs> apparently they owned something called Religion News Service at one point. And they owned Parade for a while. And also Fairchild Fashion Media sold 2014 to the Penske Media Corporation? Like the truck, just, the truck and towing people? The logistics I people? I do not understand. Corporate structure? Cor- yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like... <laughs> Why? Yeah, Nobody it's like knows. a truck company owns some random thing, like but why? fashion. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> like somebody at that company's like, you know, it would be a good idea if we uh, bought up this fashion magazine. Mm. <laughs> uh, we're a truck company. Why don't we just stick with what we know? Nah, nah. nah. We should branch out. <laughs> it's like that one time when we uh, found that parking company that owned everything. Yeah, That's that just like started, company. and then they started out just as uh, they only they literally just owned the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. look! Formerly owned TV stations: WHTM, Harrisburg, Lancaster, Lebanon, York. Are you kidding me? Nope. They used to have a whole bunch of news stations in wow. Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Anniston, St. Louis, Elmira, <laughs> New York, Syracuse, New York, Portland. That WHTM one was built and signed on by Advance House. Wow. So, like, they intentionally built that one in the Harrisburg, Lancaster, York area. Crazy. Oh. Okay. 
Uh, so I think we're on to something here because it's about to... Have a cataclysmic <laughs> level storm outside. Yeah. Somebody doesn't want us to put this episode on the air. Oh, whoa. And they control the weather. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they... they well, here's the thing. Maybe they control Google. Maybe they control Wikipedia. We don't know. Maybe maybe they have uh, oh, invested interests. They don't want us uncovering all this. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> just a Wikipedia a storm. article. It's not our fault. <laughs> Can't blame them. This episode won't even release for a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, you, you can <laughs> wait until my computer is uh, like yeah. If it, if it actually if it actually survives. Yeah. What's going on out there? It's a storm. <laughs> I think it's probably just a storm. Yeah. But they did formerly own, like, uh, probably a weather thing, maybe. No, they didn't. Well, I, I mean... Don't, they, I don't see anything in the weather. Actually, they did own the local TV station, hence the local news That's and the true. weather they, stuff. It wasn't just so. here, too. They owned a lot of papers in Jersey, a lot of papers in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania as well. The Patriot News in Harrisburg, like there, they've owned a lot of stuff. Yeah, some stuff in Oregon, man, they they really cast wide nets here. Well, do we want to just uh, head on over to SI Newhouse see if he did uh, yeah. see if he owned anything outside of this? Are we, are we gonna go SI Junior or Senior? I would say senior because we can get a well, junior from him probably. And I guess may- maybe actually I guess if junior is still alive maybe we could maybe we his could moves see if, would be the most recent. And they w- yeah, they so they would be lasting and still around. Right, so right. Okay. Maybe it would be good to go to junior. And we can go to senior from there if we need to. Right. Still okay, going to be his dad. Yeah. So yeah, let's see uh Samuel Irving Newhouse Jr. Um all right, not a big article. Probably for very good reasons. Yeah. Um, owned former cable company Bright House Networks. I don't know if we mentioned that in the other one. His net worth is $9.5 billion, So Down from $10 billion in 2016. Mm. I guess uh, that makes sense considering there's, uh, you know, he's got a ton of things. Yeah, but he's he's super rich. Not one of the people you hear about being super rich either. Yeah. He's just kind of somebody who is. And if he himself is super rich, you have to wonder what his brother Donald is worth. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because it says here Donald also owns advanced publications. So? So, wait, but in the previous article... Oh, no, it did say Donald Newhouse in the other one. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get any higher up. I think this is about as high as it gets here. Well, one thing that's interesting is that he is... A, it says his occupation is chairman of Condé Nast. Which is interesting, considering the thing that he owns is advanced publications. I didn't know he had that much involvement in Condé Nast specifically. Hmm. Well, I don't I don't know if we have enough time to start traveling down a different rabbit hole. No, but um Yeah. Um there appears 
But, yeah, I, I, I feel I feel like we should, at the very least, try going to either Donald or fa his father's article, though. One of the mm. two. Like, I, I agree. We don't have time to go down different rabbit hole. We've got maybe we, what? We get a, at least hit some kind of a high note. Yeah. A higher note. Um, so is the higher note going next door and seeing what they uh, what the other guy has or is it going up the family tree let's go senior let's go senior let's uh, I like it he has seniority yeah let's see what's uh, going on with him maybe he owned something in the past or something like that yeah uh, looks like he was alive until 1979 it's pretty uh, good yeah yeah um, wait, is it? Let me backtrack and see how old. Oh, yeah, Samuel uh, Jr. is 89 at the moment, and his dad died at 84. So he's he's doing much better than his father was. Yeah. Considering he's still he's still the chairman of the board. Yeah. He's not even retired. He's just he's still going. That's crazy. Now, this guy was... Samuel Newhouse Sr., though, was worth $1.5 in 1979. Ooh. Now, if I do $1.7 USD, 1979 to 2017, let me see what comes up. That would currently be $5,600,000,000. $5.6 that's now, in 2016 dollars. So, um... His son definitely stepped up the game. Yeah, they definitely expanded, and they didn't let their fortune dwindle <laughs> or even just kind of naturally inflate. Yeah. It says uh, that $1.5 at the time of his death was approximately one... 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 1681th of the U.S. gross national product. <laughs> it's impressive when you alone are... 1,681th of the entire country's <laughs> gross national product. Yeah. That's pretty ridiculous. Mm hmm Yeah, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't register anywhere. <laughs> no. Like, anywhere close to, like, even having a fraction. No. I mean, like, you would probably be... If if anybody was had, had GNP, like I feel like I would have maybe one, th one, one seven hundred millionth, <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe. Yeah, because like, you gotta figure the GNP is probably what well, would be a couple. It'd be somewhere in the trillions. Yeah, and then you have to figure that most people who. Um, have any sort of ranking have a lot more resources than anybody else who mm. doesn't have any sort of ranking would. Yeah. So that makes your likelihood of securing a fraction that much <laughs> smaller, which makes your fraction that much more ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so I would imagine that, yeah, someplace up there in, like, numbers so large you would never have expected to see them in the, in the denominator <laughs> is probably where yeah. normal people are at. <laughs> That's right. pretty impressive that you can get it down <laughs> to that calculation. I yeah. I, yeah, I haven't seen that yet in other 
that's a it's an interesting statistic, but I mean, mm -hmm. I would be interested to see what that would be like for other people too, for other people yeah. who are billionaires. We have a timeline of acquisitions here. That's um, gonna be relevant. 1932, he got the that was his first acquisition, I suppose, because that's mm -hmm. the first one on the list. Long Island Daily Press. And we got a couple more, and then we get Harrisburg News in 1948, the, which is the first paper in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And he would later buy the Harrisburg Patriot and combine them into the Harrisburg Patriot News. I see. Interesting. And then the next year, uh, 1949, was Advanced Publications Incorporated, formed as the primary holding company for all of his newspaper assets. So there you go. And then... Uh, in 1950, he got the Portland Oregonian. <laughs> uh, I've never that's heard... That's a bad newspaper name. <laughs> yeah. The Oregonian. Uh, that's, the so, or something doesn't about, sound right about that. How about the Portland... How about the Oregon Portlandian? <laughs> yeah. Why not... <laughs> the Portlandian. The Portlandian. That's like, all you need to do. The I Portland mean, Oregonian is... like I've never heard an entire state be reduced <laughs> to one newspaper. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he just bought up a whole bunch of different newspapers, and uh, then uh, in 1976, he purchased Booth newspapers for 305 million, uh, which is a chain of eight dailies in Michigan: the Ann, Har Ann Arbor News, Bay City Times, Flint Journal, Grand Rapids Press, Jackson City Patriot. Uh, J Jackson Citizen Patriot, Kalamazoo Gazette. That's a nice name, Kalamazoo Gazette. That's yeah. uh, rolls Kalamazoo out the Kalamazoo Gazette. <laughs> Kalamazoo Gazette. That's that's so, really catchy. There's something nice about that. There's a lot of like zoos it. in there. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. <laughs> you don't have enough Z's and names enough Z's these days. in normal language. That's that's the problem. Um, but then we get the Muskegon Chronicle and the Saginaw News. As well as the Sunday Supplement Parade. So that was the last of his acqu acquisitions because he died pretty much a couple years after that. So, but Parade's pretty big because it's yeah. still in the Sunday paper, as far as I know, everywhere. Yeah. Till today. It's pretty good. Yeah. He was apparently married to an arts patron and philanthropist, Mitzi Epstein. Who was alive from 1902 until 1989, who grew up in an upper-middle-class Jewish family on the Upper West Side, the daughter of a silk tie importer. He himself, of course, being the son of an immigrant from uh, Belarus. Interesting hmm. place of origin. Um, much more standard name than the guy who was just from the Midwest, <laughs> <Yeah>. oddly. <laughs> um, they had two sons... Samuel Irving Newhouse Jr., known as C. Newhouse, or Cy. Cy probably Cy. Yeah. Uh, and Donald Newhouse. Uh, Samuel Newhouse resided in Manhattan much of his life. His great grandson, Samuel Newhouse IV, is featured <laughs> in a documentary called Born Rich about the experience of growing up as the heir to one of the world's greatest fortunes. In 1942, he bought Greenland's. A working farm of 143 acres in Harberton, Mercer County, New Jersey. In his privately published memoir, A Memo to My Children, he documented his often strained relationship with his two sons. Mm. He died in 1979 of a stroke. Buried. Oh in wait, is this 
Staten Island. Huh? Is this uh that this last part the 1942 bought Greenland's thing? Um, is that still talking about Samuel Newhouse Senior? Yeah. Or is okay? Yeah. I, I not, didn't know the, the fourth one it was sounded... not already born in 42. I hope. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I hope For he some... also wasn't I... old enough in 1942 <laughs> at the very least to buy a farm already. I, I, I skipped the 1942 in my brain, and I was just thinking that they had transitioned and talking okay, about okay. the uh, the great great grandson. Gotcha, gotcha. And I was like, man, the grandson's already that old. That's uh, that'd be that'd be moving <laughs> fast, even by uh, early 1900 standards. <laughs> I'm surprised that he died of a stroke of all things at 84. You would think that would be like something relatively preventable. But like, uh, it, at seems least like, it seems like from in like, 1979. Yeah, it seems like at old age, you, I don't know, it'd be something else. But I guess maybe not. But um, he passed his voting common stock in the principal family company, Advanced Publications, in trust to his six grandchildren, and made his two sons the sole trustees. So, yeah. Achieved Business Hall of Fame, or Junior Achievement in the Business Hall of Fame in 1989. I mean, I guess after his death then. But, yeah, I'm kind of interested in what the grandsons, or like great-grandsons are doing, you know? Like, I feel like some of them have to be involved in the company. Like, they would be old enough by now, yeah. yeah. So what, and what happened to the third We've got senior, junior, four. Where's yeah. three? Yeah, three is not mentioned at all. But I guess we could watch. You could watch that documentary. Yeah, there you Born go. Rich. Born rich. I think that has uh, people from like Johnson and Johnson and stuff in it too. Oh, probably like those really old timey companies that are still yeah. big names. Corporate America, man. <laughs> weird, weird place. Yes, it is. Just yeah. So. There you have it, from Frigid Stars LP to Samuel Irving Newhouse Jr. Um, so go ahead and visit facebook.com slash podcast and give us a like and follow on there. And you can find us everywhere uh, that we can find podcasts. And we also have our website, twc.erictribu.com. Stuff happens on and you can follow along with the articles and see pictures and stuff and I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Manuel Romain for our outro song Oh my uh, so thanks again for joining us I was Eric and I was John and this was the Wikipedia Chronicles